It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. I'm Stephen O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield, and joining us today as he has the last couple weeks, because he's an awesome addition to the podcast, is Chris Wecht. And gentlemen, before we jump in, us being all big TV show watchers, <laughs> we have to talk about how HBO didn't miss again. They never do, but they have, they have another banger of a show out in The Last of Us. And I know both of you are watching. Yeah, I mean... So HBO, well, first of all, my background, I knew nothing about The Last of Us. I didn't play the game. I didn't even see, see a lot of hype for the show. I just know that The Mandalorian plays the main character. So I was, I was interested. And then the other day, Chris was like, hey, man, you should watch the show. I assumed when he said that the show was done like or like had already like a season had passed. I didn't realize I was jumping into a newly minted show. Yeah. The last two nights, my wife and I went back to back and we uh, we got both the current episodes out done. But when you say it's not a, you know, they didn't miss, I would agree so far, but it is only two episodes, but two fantastic episodes at that. So Chris, you, on the other hand, you've, you played the game, you know, the lore and all that. Yeah, I was, uh, I was excited that they were making the show and was anticipating it coming out and was not disappointed at all for two separate, two episodes in, in terms of, you know, how things they've tweaked from the game, things they've kept pretty much the same from the game. I think they're pretty much nailing it so far. It's a great show. Brett thought Brett thinks it's a little too scary, but he's going to get through <laughs> it because it's a very good show. But yeah. Full disclosure, my wife and I don't do scary. Like it's the one <laughs> genre we don't really dabble into. And so it is, it's a little uh, breathtaking at moments. Yeah. I know. I, I know. see a little jump. I know zombie shows are a little bit overdone at this point, but this has a nice tweak on it and it's not exactly the same. And, you know, just it's a little bit of a different spin. If that's, you what I heard was, of it. that's what I was going to say is that for a genre that has been hammered the last like two decades. Couple, yeah. And especially with like the walking dead, actually like ironically just finishing up as well. It's, it is like refreshing to see that it isn't just the same old, like, you know, repeat formula, insert different actors, insert different city or whatever, and then go. It is different and well thought out. Yeah, and then they they booked a pretty solid lead too with uh oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, there you go. So and then uh and then Bella Ramsey as Yeah, the... late Lady Mormont from the Game yes. of Thrones yeah. series. Yes. Awesome. She's a little bit older now, but uh she's she's fantastic too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the uh I I mean this might be one of the this might change the narrative on video game narratives being turned into shows. Like most of them have been not good. Right. Uh, Halo. There's been some yeah. <laughs> Assassin's been some other Creed. Oh yeah, jeez. Wait, that's a show? It, it, no, movie. it was a movie. Yeah, not oh, God. good at all. It didn't um, go well. Yeah, it didn't yeah. go well. So the so far, so I I mean, it, like 
it's almost amazing how how like because video not all but a lot of video games are basically just giant movies you're playing through and like right. how, are they, how are they not had success doing this for people that don't play the video games yet so hopefully yeah. it's more to come in that area i couldn't agree more because i yeah i think the same thing all the time where i'm like it's just, it feels like they basically just they wrote it out for you like it's 20 whatever you know 20 plus hours of gameplay usually like the blueprints there like it's funny how that can be so hard to adapt it yeah but enough of enough of tv on to the stuff that we're really that's really important and that's the nfl awards coming up <laughs> oh yeah not the games it's the nfl awards that's the most important thing well we only got two games this week so it's like you know do we really want to spend over an hour talking two games or should we splice in a little extra fun and we have not vis- revisited the award talk you know we did a preseason award thing we did a mid-season recap and now we have we can actually pick our winners who we think w- should win do you guys have who you guys gave out those awards in pre and mid-season Ye- i can find it really or have quickly. they yeah. or have they i guess the better question is have they changed a lot since then for you i know thinking back there are there are a couple that did not land, but I do have, I did have a couple from preseason that I still feel solid about, I should say. I don't think I picked anyone that necessarily is going to win, but I think I was, I can stand by my, a a couple of my preseason choices. Nice. Yeah. I think actually, my uh, offensive player of the year award is going to. I'm picking who I pick to win it. So, I think I think I was close on that. But uh, yeah, well, let's just dive right in. So let's start. Let's start with the less interesting awards and kind of build up to MVP. I know a lot of people yes. do it the other way, and I'd rather not be anticlimactic. So, let's start with <laughs> coach of the year. I know Chris is probably going to be different on this than us because he's biased, but. <laughs> um, Chris, who do you guys? I don't. I I, uh, guess I. I don't have who you think I have. Then okay. Wow. Oh, I'm assuming you. You thought I would go with Sirianni, and while, man, it's. I think he's definitely deserving of it, but, I think. Man, I don't know. I. I. I don't (laughs) not want to give it to him because it feels like I should, but. I, I was more impressed, I think, with what Doug Peterson did oh, in Jacksonville. The other bias. <laughs> <laughs> Former I mean, Eagles coach Doug Peterson. To go, <laughs> to go from the, the first. Yeah. <laughs> Got you on that one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> to go from the first overall pick in the draft last year with a team that, you know, Lawrence had promised, didn't really show anything in his rookie year, mostly because of Urban Meyer, but the rest of the roster was also not good, but in most people's eyes. And to come out and win the division um, and then win a playoff game in the fashion that they won it was just, I mean, Doug's a good coach. Like he really is a very good NFL coach and he'll be around as long as he wants, as long as he doesn't let some loyalty issues get to him over the years and wherever he is. 
Yeah. Um, but him, what he did turning around Lawrence's career. I mean, we, we talked multiple times on this podcast about how good Lawrence looks and how he's basically close to getting in that tier of up and coming young QBs with Herbert Burrow. Uh, I mean, you can make the argument he's even past Herbert at this point, as far as what sure. his expectations yeah. should be going forward. Absolutely. Uh, sure. But we just right. need more sample size, right? That's, right. that's the key. He's right. going to keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, just, they they went on they, and they still have tons of I mean they have no superstars on that team it's particularly on off like look at the off the offenses we, we thought was some of the worst free agent signings of the season all looked like massive hits now yeah a uh, lot well, of Ingram and Zay Jones do for sure right like seemingly spare Christian parts. Kirk definitely does yeah I think you're still overpaying him for sure but that's what that's what it takes to to pull a a f- top free agent and free agency, right. you know, right. so they yeah, did what they did what they had to. Yeah. And I know he doesn't get too involved on the defense. He's mostly an offensive guy, but defense doesn't have any super big names. Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are probably the, you know, two of the bigger ones and they were solid, but again, not like there's nobody on that team that you're like, yeah, they, you know, this is the guy you have to worry about in particular compared to the right. rest of the team. Right. Yeah. To to Doug's credit, it's mostly because they're so young. These these guys yeah. haven't had the opportunity to turn into superstars yet because right. they are so young. The similar issue to that Detroit has really lack of star power because everyone's under you know twenty four years old. So um, I can't disagree. I didn't pick him, but I can't disagree with the take. He was definitely yeah uh, a finalist for me, or even a, probably my my runner up if I were to do runner ups. So. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good take, uh, Steve. What about you? I went with Brian Dable. I feel like it. As did I. I just when you look at what they did in the off season, and it's they had a pretty you know average draft. They didn't have any extra picks. I think they made like two free agent signings. Daniel Jones was dead in the water. Saquon Barkley, you know, he was coming back from an injury, but it was just supposed to be you know it was more so of like an audition for free agency for him was the view because of how bad the team was going to be and to like rally and make now daniel jones potentially a guy that they could look at re-signing and that's not a horrible choice and the way that he got that defense to play with you know similar to jacksonville but and i mean similar to jacksonville in that they have no stars on their defense but but even then they're like a little bit older and you know, they had some, they had emergence on the defensive line, but like that back end and those linebackers were in flux the whole year. And so for them to even make the playoffs or even be in the conversation for a winning record, I think that Dable is, I mean, the job that he did overall with the team and the, can they like overall team chemistry, it seems it's, it was yeah. overall, it was a masterclass of coaching in my opinion. Yeah, he was. He really was phenomenal. Slight correction, though, they did have two top ten picks this year, so they did have one extra pick that was pretty juicy. Oh, that's right, because they picked yeah. Kayvon and Evan Neal. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau right. and Evan yep. Neal in the yep, top that's ten. That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason I went Dable instead of Peterson is just because the Giants had a, a rougher go of it. Like they play in a good division. I mean, shoot, almost all four teams in that division made the playoffs. Yeah. where Jacksonville basically had layups for most of the season. So I'm not going to discredit Peterson because of that, but I do want to give Dable a little extra credit because of um, no one expected them to compete 
in that yeah. division this year. Like literally nobody. So the fact that they were in it, they made the playoffs, um, won a playoff game. I thought that was really impressive considering where the state of that team was a year ago today. Yeah. Um, and like you said about Daniel Jones, like you saw him develop and take actual big time steps forward to the point where they don't really have a choice. They, they're going to have to retain him. Um, I don't know that they'll throw a long-term contract at him, but I, I think they might get into a Kirk Cousins situation where they franchise right. him, maybe franchise him again next year. And then, right. You know, if they're, if they're left still wanting more after that, maybe they go a different direction, but um, they're, I mean, look at the, the landscape of the NFC, like Jalen hurts. And then who, especially if Rogers moves on, if Brady retires, like, Daniel Jones, you could make the argument he's competing for the number two spot. And a year ago, he was almost out of a job. Like, huge credit to to Brian Dable for for that. So, I will. So, I thought I was going to go Dable, and when I dug deeper, so a couple things you guys said that what ended up changing my mind. So, you you both said you know Dable wasn't expected. Giants weren't expected to win much. The Giants actually had a higher preseason win total than the Jaguars coming into this season. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Jaguars were literally the worst team in the NFL last year. Well, yeah, I just – I think the the sharp money and whatnot all thought the Giants would be better than I think the public eye gave them, and the Jaguars had an even worse outlook. I mean, the you said the Giants had a ter- – they didn't even beat – they only beat one division te- uh, team this year, and it was Washington um, – they 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 have wins, you know, against the Bears, Packers, Ravens, Texans, uh, Colts, Tennessee, yeah. Carolina. So so they beat yeah. the same division Jacksonville had to beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I t- like the, I think their they schedules. Are, <laughs> yeah, I think their schedules are more or less the same. Yeah, um, that's fair. And I just think the Jaguars had a little bit more to overcome. Yeah, and that's where I like the difference in that for me Jacksonville was you know they're trying to build their team to be better and I felt like New York they like other than you know the draft like they made no concerted effort to really get better in the of like the right now like they would like we all thought they were going rebuild like full rebuild mode rebuild mode this year yeah they, I mean, they attacked like, the trenches of the draft they didn't address wide receiver or corner and so like and like the biggest, and for me, the biggest difference is that Jacksonville, the I thought the upside was there just because of Trevor Lawrence, whereas yeah, New York with Daniel Jones. I mean, Daniel Jones was, yeah. I mean, beginning of the year, it was like there were conversations about like if he should even play for mm-hmm. the team, like if he should even be the starting quarterback. But yep, both guys are very are very deserving of the award. It's nitpicking at that point. 100 percent. all right let's move on then let's go comeback player of the year i have no idea where you guys are at on this so we could potentially have three different players here uh steve why don't you start us off uh i went chalk with like my first thought was geno smith okay and i'm just gonna leave it at that like I said Geno Smith. I'll see if you guys mentioned the other person that I thought of, but I'll just because I think there's a potential that Chris might actually mention him. But uh, I just Geno's emergence from you know seemingly the backup purgatory 
for the rest of his life to be like emerge from that and have the year that he did command a, a very effective, efficient offense. It was, it was just, it's impressive. And like, you can argue like, what is he coming back from? Like his own inability to start games or whatever, who knows, but (laughs) (laughs) still, I think that like he deserves to be recognized in some way for like out of nowhere in year what what year is he like year nine something like that it's so like just i think it for me it just came down to i think he deserves to be recognized in some way shape or form similar to like how date like with dable like geno smith was not even supposed to start the year the team was supposed to be one of the worst in the nfl and he commanded a, a like a, a pretty high powered offense all year and was delivering insane throws, like big time throws at the rate, like right up there at the pace with Mahomes and Josh Allen. And he Aaron finished Rodgers. third. He finished right? third in so our, like, our system. So yeah, so he's he played with the best of them, and so I think he just he deserves to get recognized for it, and I think that this is like the spot for it because he's not. I don't think he's 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 not offensive player of the year, and he's certainly not MVP. That's fair. I I did go Gino for the reason you mentioned. Like, what is he actually coming back from? So right. But uh, Chris, where did you go? You're putting me in a tough spot here with the two awards that make me look the most biased. Because uh, mine is Brandon Graham. Nice. Okay. Good. The Eagles. Uh, he so he tore his Achilles back in week two last year which even I forgot about, honestly, with how well he's been playing. And then when I was trying to think of who to give it to, I I remembered that he, you know, I remember that he missed most of last year. So he's, he's got 13 sacks on the year, which is top 10 in the NFL, despite only playing. I mean, he probably rushes the passer probably half the time of guys like Nick Bosa and Miles Garrett and the other big names. Um, PFF has him as winning on 23% of his pass rush snaps, which is only lower than Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Josh Uchi, and Micah Parsons. So he, I mean, at 34 year old coming off a torn Achilles, which is usually a career ender for guys at that age and playing at the level that he's playing is, I mean, it, it's crazy. Like he, he should not be playing as well as he's been playing. And, and I think, he, I don't even think he's like a finalist for the award, which is just crazy uh, when you got not that like guys like Gino, like McCaffrey didn't really come back from anything. Gino didn't really come back from the, anything. Right. Barkley's like two years removed from his big injury. Um, so, it's yeah, how he's not getting more recognition for this award is is crazy to me. Yeah, not even I mean, not even a finalist. Yeah, not even brought up. Yeah, I didn't even consider him to be honest, and I'm a, I'm a huge Brandon Graham fan as well. So, um, that's uh, yeah, I mean, huge good call there. I mean, he's he's been a phenomenal player for the past decade. So, and he kind of picked up right where he left off. Possibly even had a, a better season than he's had before. So. Yeah, he's never had double digit sacks before. First right. time in his career. You know how I know that is because uh, on the PFF NFL podcast. Steve and Sam, they have this bet every year where if uh, Steve bets that Brandon Graham will get to double digit sacks and they bet a dinner <laughs> on it 
And Sam has basically got a free dinner like 10 consecutive years in a row. <laughs> and then finally, the one year literally nobody thought Graham would get the 10 sacks he, he does. So Steve yep. finally wins the bet. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that's funny. So anywho, um, I, I did go Barkley. Um, you know, I did note that his, he wasn't coming back from that catastrophic injury this year, but he still had a a pretty bad injury last year. And he, and he came back to be a true workhorse running back. And we, we talked about the giants and what they were able to do. Barkley was such a big part of that for a good stretch of games where they heavily relied on him. And I know they were beating up some bad teams in there, but man, like, I mean, especially down in the red zone, using him as a wildcat QB a lot. Like they just put a ton on his plate for a guy who hasn't really been able to stay healthy. And I thought he answered the call pretty well. And I know some of his like yards after contact per carry numbers were down. He wasn't forcing missed tackles at the same rate where you would expect a guy like Barkley to do so. But I was still impressed with the season. I think a lot of what the Giants were able to accomplish on offense started with Saquon Barkley in that run game. So, and I, and I'm a running backs don't matter guy, and I'm still giving it to him. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's you must really feel passionate about it. Yeah, my other my other option was was Gino or McCaffrey, and uh, I just like McCaffrey never really yeah. had a catastrophic injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's also playing on the, you know, behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. So, yeah, comeback player of the year. I feel like usually has a, a very clear defined person, and this year it just wasn't. And so there's like there there is the weird air of like okay Saquon Barkley's coming back from injury ish Christian McCaffrey's coming back from injury kind of and also just like a bad team and Geno Smith was just not good for a long time. And then now is good. It's like different comeback stories than what I, than what like this award usually is. Yeah. There's truth to that for sure. All right, let's do uh offensive rookie of the year. This award is intriguing because like recently we've had these years where there's several rookies that have really good seasons. Like yeah. there are probably like three or four receivers you could pick alone yeah. for this award. Um, I went a different direction. I'll lead us off since you guys have each led off the other awards. I went with Brock Purdy for this. Oh, no. You did. I did. And I know he only started six games down the stretch, but he was 6-0. and He looked very good in those games. I expected multiple times for him to have that meltdown, and he never did. And he was responsible for like 14 touchdowns, only turned the ball over four times you know, basically did exactly what he was asked to do and probably exceeded expectations. He added an element to that offense that they didn't have with Jimmy Garoppolo. He, I actually think they got better when he took over as a QB, um, which no one was expecting, literally no one. And so for that reason, he, he plays the most important position. That's the most important thing to me is this is a guy who, you know, he plays the most important position. The quarterback can make you sink or swim, even with the 49ers who are allegedly QB proof, but um, yeah. Are you, are you excited two years from now to know that you gave this award to the new Nick Mullins? Listen, I'm not, it's not a mark of future projection or anything, but I, I'm just a recognition for what happened this year. So um, and Nick Mullins never went six and zero and led the 49ers <laughs> to a playoff run. Fair so point. yeah, 
So that's my take on Purdy. There were, like I said, a million other guys I could have went with. I thought about Olave. I thought about Garrett Wilson. Um, I even thought about Jahan Dotson because of the crazy touchdown production. Um, there, there was a bunch. Uh, Kenneth Walker is another obvious one. Um, but ultimately, I decided that QB trumps all that, and you know, he's been playing good football. So, where did you guys go? Um, so this one came down to me to two of the rookie receivers, and one of them you didn't mention uh, was Drake London. London too, yeah. I yeah. said there was four or five. <laughs> yep. So, mm-hmm. um, so for me, it was between Drake London and Chris Olave. Um, I think I'm ultimately going to go with London. He finished the year with 2.2 yards per outrun, 29% target share, 34% threat rate, and had 30% of his team's yards on a terrible passing terrible. offense. You can't under, one, understand One of the either. worst we've ever seen, possibly. Um, he didn't cross the 1,000-yard mark like Alave and Wilson, but that was largely a product of how bad the passing offense was. In low opportunity. Yes. Right, yeah. Lower they had that. multiple games with like f- less than 15 pass attempts. Yeah, when Kyle Pitts went out, there, I mean, he was running routes with l- literally guys that may not be on m- most NFL rosters and had Mariota playing QB who won't be a QB next year for a team, at least not a starter, and Desmond Ritter who also may not <laughs> be a starter next year and still put up the numbers that he put up is just crazy. And if you watch him play, like he, he's the real deal. Like he, man, I would have to put him on any other team and he would have, we'd all be talking about him like the, the best receiver from this class. Yeah. When you put on the tape too, Chris, you see like every concern people had about this guy, just that they're not there. There's, he's a good separator. Yeah, good separator. Yep. Great route runner. Yep. Super technical already. You know, and that's the, the you know, sky's the limit for him moving forward for sure. We got to hope he gets a good QB in there. Yeah. I went with the other rookie receiver. I went with Garrett Wilson. Or the other, other rookie receiver. <laughs> <laughs> I went with Garrett Wilson. Um, he, you know, he, he, all the stats were there. He went over 1,000 yards, 83 receptions. 24.9% target share. He only had a 72% catchable ball rate, which was near the bottom of the league. And he helped make three QBs that are not very good look good in moments. He helped like he helped that Jets offense come alive in moments and he looked to be the guy that he was billed to be when he got drafted. And that's a guy that can win contested catches, but also win with route running. And I, I just, I thought that he played very well. And I just hope that the jets get a good quarterback in there. Cause I think that he could be a 1500 yard receiver with the, with a good quarterback in there. Agreed on that. Wilson was a beast. I mean, he not only made big plays, he made big plays at big times. Uh, there were multiple games where the Jets didn't really have any business winning, and it was usually a Garrett Wilson play that kind of got them into the game or took got them to take a lead. And yeah, and yeah, he did have some like the the big touchdown against Cleveland to get him right to get him right yeah. back in the game where he to- like toasted Denzel Ward, who's you know had a little bit of a down year this year, but 
was recognized as one of the better cornerbacks, and he was doing it as the number one in the Jets' offense against number one corners in a you know a division that has solid corners in it, and Xavier Howard and the Patriots always have you know a rotating cast, and their corners played well this year, and the Buffalo Bills had toward the end of the year Tre'Davious White, so he faced a good bit of like solid corner play and still put up the numbers that he did. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. giving uh saying how bad uh, Drake London's passing a game was. And then Garrett Wilson's was almost equally as bad, but somehow a slight touch better. Right. I know it's, it's, it's like crazy how, I mean, yeah, these rookie receivers nowadays come in and just, doesn't matter what, you know, I mean, obviously helps if you are Jamar Chase landing with Joe Burrow, but yes, <laughs> like even the guys that do end up with the Zach Wilson's, the Marcus, like they still come in and just are immediate difference makers. Right. Right. It's these Ohio state receivers that just come in and are just walk into the building NFL ready players. Yeah. <laughs> Refined technique, man. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, yeah, there was no nothing close to a Jamar Chase landing on the Bengals type r- rookie this year. Yeah, I mean, like Alave, we didn't even talk about him, but he also did not have the best passing attack to work with, and still put up awesome numbers. Yep, that actually is kind of crazy. Those all those receivers were playing in subpar situations, and they all performed, you know, regardless of that. Uh, the one guy I'm like kind of bummed we didn't get to see a lot of was Jamison Williams because I think he could have contended for the award, but yeah, he, he could have. Saw nothing. And then, <laughs> and then Brees Hall as well. I think like yeah, to go without mentioning him. I mean, he I was he would have run would, away with it. I think. He would have. He. I mean, I think when he got hurt, that you could feel the Jets' offense change a bit, and like. Because he got hurt, what, after in week six or seven? And, uh, yeah, around there. And that, like, you know, they the Jets got off to a hot start, and he was a big part of that. And I think that when he went down, they that was a big aspect of it, a big, like, big part of getting explosive plays from him was how their offense moved the ball. And you could, the back half of the season, you could feel it in the run game when they didn't, when the quarterback play started deteriorating a little bit and the run game went with it because they didn't have an explosive playmaker as a, at running back. And that was what he offered. And so I'd be remiss to go without mentioning him because it's unfortunate that he got hurt. Cause I think that he was going to be, he was going to be the unanimous. Yep. Yeah. yeah Christian right. Watson would be the other one. If he had just stayed yep. healthy all yep. year, what could yep. he have been true? One note on Hall, too. He, when he got hurt, he was averaging 3.55 yards after contact per carry. Yeah, he was. Which is freaking absurd. 5.8 yards per carry in general. Yeah. Like Just Tony nutty. Pollard might have been the only guy ahead of that number. Around, maybe, I can't think of anybody else. That's just nutty. Um, all right, let's do defensive player – or sorry, defensive rookie of the year. Chris, I'll let you start us off because Steve and I have uh, an internal struggle here. Really? I didn't want to go because I have an internal struggle with myself <laughs> on this one. I'll uh, go, I'll go. It might be for a different reason, though. I, I don't know how if Aiden Hutchinson is in the conversation for you guys. But uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he is. 
Okay, so, all right, well, then I'll go because I don't have him as one of mine. Not that I don't think he deserves it. I just, I got locked in on these other two guys and I'm having a hard time deciding who. So, for me, it's between Sauce Gardner and Tariq Woolen. I thought Sauce Gardner would be the guy I would clearly go with, and then looking closer at the numbers, they were very, very close. And, man, picking one is almost impossible. I'm tempted to go with Woolen, given the rest of the Seahawks' defense and what he was asked to do. Um, Both had around a 50% completion percentage allowed. Uh, Woolen had a allowed a 0.7 yards per route run covered a 51.1 passer rating allowed and sauce was only a touch above those numbers at 0.8 yards per route run allowed and 57.1 passer rating um yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Woolen I think the Seahawks defense was not perceived as being remotely good and also did have struggles last year, but it was not because of really most of their cornerbacks, but particularly Woolen. I mean, he did not have remotely the expectations that Sauce Gardner had coming out of college. And no, he was insanely raw. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he is already a legit corner. I mean, corner play can be, is one of the most variable things in the NFL year to year. So we'll see, but what he came in and did for that team was just, I mean, nobody saw that coming and yeah. the number, the numbers back it up for him. I went with sauce um, over Hutch. Hutch is the other guy I did consider woolen, but just the way Seattle plays defense, they take a lot of pressure off those outside corners. So um, perfect situation for, for woolen with his skill set. you know, tall, lanky, freak athlete perfect situation for him don't want to take anything away from him he he performed at an insanely high level especially versus expectations but i do think that seattle uh defense takes a lot of pressure off those guys specifically so i mean even kobe bryant wasn't terrible his counter rookie counterpart Mm -hmm. so um i went with gardner because gardner was a true shutdown guy i mean i know the numbers look similar but um Gardner playing on the left side specifically, he's going to see more X type receivers just because the way the NFL offenses work. And he lived up to the hype. The, the way they play their coverages, whether it's man or, or even some of their cover three stuff, it looks like man. And he, he was, a, he was a wet blanket. Um, he completely shut down many good receivers this year. Um, I just thought, I think the reason I went with uh, Gardner over Hutch specifically was because I think corner is a more valuable position. Uh, a bad corner can get you killed faster than a bad ed- edge defender can. Um, I have such a high value on stopping the pass, and I know a pass rush is a big part of that, but having a, a truly elite corner is it, it's such a, a blessing to a defense. And, and Gardner didn't just come in and play you know, good for a rookie. He came in and played f- good for an NFL player. You could make the argument he was the best corner in the entire NFL this year as a rookie, where I don't think Woolen is even close to that discussion, and Hutch probably isn't close to that discussion for edge defenders. So um, with that said, that's why that's why I went with Gardner, because I think he's already reached the top of his position. And like Chris said, I mean, it is a very volatile position year over year. Can he sustain that for his, his career? We, we'll find out, but... Um, for at least right now, he's already one of the best corners in the league. So, 
Yeah, I also went with sauce and just for similar reasons and just to mention that like even if you go back and start to watch the last like you've started even starting like the last four weeks, you can see offenses specifically avoid his side. Like there will be there'll be moments in like time, like periods in the game where offenses just won't even look that way. And I think that was the biggest thing. That was the, the big thing for me was that his ability to completely change the, the way an offense operates and completely, you know, shut down a third or like a half of the field was like something we haven't seen from a rookie like that in a long time. And I, I just thought that that was the part that was the one that put put him head like head and shoulders above everyone else was his ability to just completely wipe out a side of the field for periods of a time during a game against against good offenses and good quarterbacks. Yeah, I I agree. Obviously, um, anyone else? I mean, let's talk Hutch for one sec because I think he was there. It's too bad because I think any other year ever this is runaway for hodge like a no-brainer easy like if you compare his stats to every rookie like defensive rookie of the year for edge players recently he stands he stands up with every other guy like his stats are all there the turnover numbers were crazy the sack numbers were great you saw the evolution of him as a player from like week one to week yeah 18. impact of the run game too was pretty extreme his ability to learn evolve it, it was i mean it was overall impressive like very impressive and i think he's going to be you know he's going to be a great player for yeah. hopefully years to come and he looks to be on that way my biggest issue with hutch the reason i didn't go with him is it took him a while to get going as a yeah. pass rusher yeah. Um yeah, he had the big three sack game against Washington, but it was three cleanup sacks. They weren't super high quality. Yeah. Um he really wasn't beating offensive tackles until later in the year. He did get into a groove eventually. Yeah. But like that passer's win rate um is it's not gonna be pretty compared to his class. Like probably top twenty, top twenty five, but like I said, Gardner was already at the top of his class where Hutch was like you know, he was a good edge def- good pass rusher, but not a great pass rusher. And yeah. Um but you're right, though, Steve. Like, considering the draft capital, you know, number two overall pick, especially the way everyone views Hutchinson, like everyone loved him, yeah, you know, coming to the draft, like literally yeah. everybody. Uh, and then for him to be as productive as he was, usually that's a slam dunk, right? Oh, easy, easy rookie of the year pick, but just not the, just not the case this year. Yeah, so. he just went up against like one of the best, just cornerback seasons we've seen in a while, and it was done by a rookie. So. Yep. Like it's hard to compete with someone who's competing at an all pro level for their position as well as, uh, as well as rookie of the year. But yeah. And like Hutch also faced, I mean, one of the highest double team percentages all year Yeah, to walk in and face that right away as a rookie. I mean, like you said, it took him a while to figure it out, but once he figured it out, he became a, he became a terror for defenses or for offenses. He was, in the he like those last few weeks he was in the backfield quite a bit and he was disrupting quarterbacks it also helped that they got healthy later in the year so like some of those the interior uh, the interior defensive lineman McNeil Bugs those guys came alive a little bit 
and help to kind of take the pressure off of Hutch toward the end of the year. As James Houston's emergence James too. Houston, yep, and bringing back Aquara, it, it you know it all helped with his development. And also to say that he, I think he played the highest number of snaps for a rookie and was near highest number of snaps for like all players. I mean, he was on the field. Yeah, they didn't. All they didn't the start time. subbing him out of games until like yeah week twelve. Yeah. Like he was literally like playing every snap until like yeah. week 12, which is crazy. So that, that'll also affect your pass rush uh, efficiency as well because yeah. you're tired, your legs are jello. And you're just like, in, you're just in every pass rush yeah. rep. And it's just in pot, like, you know, like a Brandon Graham, some of those guys that like they come in and they're fresh and they're ready to go for a pass rush snap. Well, I guess Brandon yep. Graham isn't the right example, but like James, James Houston's the right example where, you know, for the beginning yeah. part, he was only playing third downs. Yeah, exactly. So he's fresh and ready to go. Yep. All right, let's stick with defense. Let's go defensive player of the year. I probably didn't pick anyone you guys picked, so I'm going to go last. All right. Um, right. I'll go. I will lead off. I went with I went with Fred Warner just because I – Oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I – I thought Nick Bosa, and I think that he probably is the one that will win it. But I just think that the way Fred Warner played this year, especially after coming off a year of him being more mediocre and you know people questioning like, okay, was he ever that good? Was he more a product of good defenses, good defensive lines? Like, who is he as a player? And then to come back this year and, I mean, just completely shut down middle of the field pass and run defense – was insane. I mean, I know this happened in the postseason, but just the play from last week where he ran, you know, stride for stride with CD Lamb on the seam route and from the A gap too. Like yeah, from the A gap up, like, up in front of the center and just hightails it. Insane, backwards. insane assignment that he was a given and then B fulfilled. Bananas, and I yeah. he's gotten recognized for it all week, but he made plays like that. Like he was making plays like that. All year, he completely he would completely shut down the middle of the field. I mean, you go and watch the game against Miami, a team that their passing game lived in the middle of the field. Tua was one of the best over the like over the middle throwers in the league at the time, and he completely shut down that off like the way that offense operated, and he did that a lot. And he was a, a catalyst in their ability to be the best team against the run all year. He's the brains of that defense. He's, you know, he just is asked to do so much. And I think that I, I also picked him preseason. So that's also why I'm picking him. I want to feel good about that, that I had said him preseason. And I feel comfortable saying, and I feel comfortable giving, like saying that he's worthy of the award this year too. And when you said that preseason, I looked at you like, are you, what is wrong with you? Yeah. You looked at me like I, like my eyes were popping yeah. out of my head. He he wasn't even just like it wasn't even just a bad season last year. Like he was legitimately bad. <laughs> like yeah. not even you know, not even an average player. So to see what he's done this year has been insane. He just looked so much more in control this year, which was why he didn't last year. Like we had talked about the at the in the preseason episode was he looked lost at times last year, and this year it looked completely in control almost every game. Yep, Chris. I went with... No. <laughs> no. Oh, wait. No, I know who it is. No, I went. I ended up going with Nick Bosa, oh, but okay. 
I I don't and I I have a problem with the NFL finalists decide whoever decides that because I don't know how there's not a single defensive Eagles defensive lineman up for any of these awards because Hassan Reddick should be also in that conversation. Um, I don't have much to say about Bosa other than that he was just I mean he was the best edge rusher in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, 19 sacks, 90 pressures, like just ridiculous numbers. It didn't matter who he was going up against. Um, but man, I, I really wanted to give it to Hassan Reddick. I mean, he has, he has blown expectations out of the water. I remember when the Eagles signed him and I think I even messaged Brett and I was like, this seems like a little bit of an overpay, but I guess that's what the edge rusher market is, you know? And uh, you know, just didn't think anything of it. I was like, all right, it's fine. Uh, that's what you got to pay to get a, a decent edge rusher. I mean, he, he's got 18 sacks, 68 pressures, and he, he, he doesn't sub as much as the other Eagles defensive lineman, but he does sub in and out a good amount. Uh, he has been, a, I mean, he, he made the giants offensive light, uh, offensive line, like be terrified last, last week. It was, he just, he's starting to, and as the season went on, you could see it more and more that he was starting to really take over games in the way that a Nick Bosa does. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nick Bosa was just awesome from start to finish, so I couldn't I couldn't take it away from him. Nice. I did not go Bosa. Um, my main issue with Bosa is the amount of pressures they're able to manufacture with him. Um, I think he had, according to PFF, he had 32 unblocked or cleanup pressures. So, not, not want to don't want to take anything away from him, but he also plays a ton of snaps. Um, yeah, the guy I went with, and I'll explain it more in a second. But I went with Chris Jones. Okay, I actually considered him from yeah, Kansas so City. There. The reason I went with him over some of the edge guys. So, like, I had trying to sort out the edge guys between Parsons and Bosa and Reddick. Even I did consider him. Miles um, Garrett was like. Basically, what we've just done is we've put we've created a cluster of four or five guys that are all potentially worthy. But when I went back to the other positions and looked, there's nobody freaking close to Chris Jones. He's so much better than every other player at that position this year. They're getting a ton of value out of that. Um, I know Aaron Donald, you know, <laughs> probably has a lot to do with that because he missed missed you know a good chunk of the season or whatever, and that was a defunct Rams team. But man, like Dexter Lawrence is probably the second best interior defender this year. And he's not even in the same stratosphere as, as Chris Jones. Which is crazy because like Dexter Lawrence had a very good year. Christian Wilkins had a very good year. Like both guys who were very effective and yeah, didn't even, yeah, you, come, didn't even come close. Yeah. If you look at just raw sack numbers, you know, there, there were multiple guys over 10, but Chris Jones had 16 and a half. Um, his pass rush win rate was like almost two and a half percent higher, according to PFF, than any any other guy in his position, which was nuts. Um, he had more than fifteen pressures more than anyone else at his position, and that was Dexter Lawrence. And then everyone after those two is like way down the list. So yeah, I mean, truly an incredible season, and and he makes that Chiefs defense go when he's not on the field or he's not playing well they fall apart. I mean, he is, he is that entire defense. So um, you can obviously say the same thing for probably Bosa, you know, Bosa's, if they lose Bosa, they, they're probably not as good. 
Um, if, if the Browns lose Garrett, they're probably even worse than they are. <laughs> um, not sure where the Eagles would be without Reddick because they do have a lot of depth. But point being, Chris Jones is an absolute monster, and he is that entire defense, basically. And so, to that point, I will say that Chris Jones's positional versatility along that defensive line is is like so valuable as well. He can jump like the way he can jump from like one to three to like he can go any gap against oh, any anyone gap. and he can control it, which is something that like Aaron Donald is probably about one of the only other players that consistently does what Chris Jones does. And it's too bad because like Chris Jones arguably would probably get the recognition that Aaron Donald does. Oh, dude. If, if Aaron Donald didn't exist, Chris Jones would be Aaron Donald. I, I see this all the time, to, like in my inner circles. Like Aaron Donald is probably the best defensive player of all time. Yes. But Chris Jones is a generational talent. <laughs> he just never gets talked about because Donald is that good. <laughs> it's like, so it was nice that Donald had this year so Jones could finally get this right. recognition as, man, this dude is an absolute freaking monster but you're right dude like he played like 70 percent of last year on the edge yeah like, like just straight and it wasn't the best thing kansas city's ever done because he's a way better guy on the inside but the fact that a dude that's 315 pounds can go give you 500 snaps at edge is insanity yeah like, you don't jj watt's really the last guy that's done that and he's not even quite that heavy you know he's closer to 300 so yeah, because they um, basically were like, we're not getting pass rush from anybody. Chris, get out there. We need something. Yeah, yeah. And then he did. He did. And, <laughs> and their defense did get better, though, when they moved him back inside. But point being, he was like still a very good player on the edge. And then he's an elite player on the inside. Uh, but he's so athletic. The things they can do with him, too, with stunts and twists, because he's so athletic, it's just um, – it's he's a problem. He is a problem. So that was why I went Christopher Jones. Um, yeah, and like I, I mean, there were so many edge guys that you could throw throw their name in, and it made sense. You know, no one would argue with any of the guys I mentioned. So, yeah. Um. All right, let's go offensive player. The next two awards will probably be offense, so we'll end with an offense streak. Offensive yeah. player of the year. I can lead this one off. Do the it. guy I predicted to win it is who I have winning it, and that's one Justin Jefferson. Um. He, I mean, it, we don't really need to go through all the accolades for the three years he's been in the league, but <laughs> he's on pace to shatter pretty much every record in the record book. And this was his best year so far. He's he's built each year. I think I said on our very first podcast, Steve, if Justin Jefferson couldn't win it last year, I don't know how he'll ever win it. And here we are. So, um, yeah, I mean phenomenal i said the same thing about mark andrews too who was my runner-up and obviously andrews tailed off but jefferson man that whole offense is predicated on him being force-fed the ball for the most part yeah Um, yeah so and he's such a good separator and the thing that's crazy is even when they can't find scheme to get him open or where he's getting bracketed or doubled they kirk just throws him the ball anyways and then he's got to go up and make these ridiculous catches (laughs) Um, it's, it's pretty rare to see a guy with his separation ability as well as those contested catch ball skills. Cause he's basically what that says is you can't win against him. So, uh, for that, yeah, the production speaks for itself that, that he's my offensive player of the year. 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go next just because I also had Jefferson. Uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a receiver take over a game like he did when the Vikings played the Bills. Yeah, uh, whatever week that like just yeah, just just sheer dominance. Um, I did. I don't have anything to really add, but I did have uh, Tyreek Hill as a very close second. <laughs> Me too. Um, just like yeah, his <laughs> numbers pop. I might as well let the cat out of the bag and let you know that I also went Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill. <laughs> That's so two. funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, their numbers are uh, – I think Hill led the league with 3.3 yards per out run. I mean, he he changed to his career, assuming, you know, everything medically is okay with Tua moving forward. Like legitimately. Yeah. That's not hyperbole. Like he uh, actually changed to his yeah, career. The, yeah. the amount of deep balls he would – that probably would have hit the ground that he is able to track down and, and catch – um, yeah, he totally transformed that offense. He's done it. I mean, we know Mahomes is awesome too, but he also has done it in the past with the Chiefs. Also, I mean, he's those two guys are probably the only two receiver. I don't even know. Probably not even Devonte Adams can get into that their tier of just taking over a game like solely themselves. They they're just massive difference makers compared to all the other receivers in the league. So I'll pose the question then, since we all went the same route, what made you, what was the, the deciding factor of choosing Jefferson over Tyreek Hill for both of you? For me, it's that I think the Vikings offense is not nearly as good as the Dolphins offense yet. Jefferson would make them look very good at times. Yeah. Um, this was really tough for me though. Like I, I went back and forth so many times between the two. Yeah. Because Hill philosophically changes the way you have to play defense. I'm not sure Jefferson necessarily does. But it's, it, Chris mentioned the Bills game. There were other games, too, where it's like in the absolute most crucial moments of the season, Jefferson put up crazy plays. Yes. Yeah, that's um, what it was for me. It was like I, I was staring at it. I was like, man, I, I, I don't know how to pick between the two. And then I would thought back to some of their games, and I was like, that Bills game was one of the most incredible things I've seen from a receiver ever. Yeah. Just he did the same thing in the first Giants matchup too. Yeah. Yeah. So he just completely took the game over. Yeah. And just like the I mean, the offense falls apart if he's not targeted. It's just it really does. It, yeah. It, it just totally falls apart. So that was ultimately what decided it, but it was it was so close. Yeah. For me, yeah. For me it was the fact that Jalen Waddle was opposite Tyree Kill, which helped, you know, open up the offense a little bit, open up the offense and kind of spread defenses out a little bit. Created more I thought it created a little bit more open space opportunity for him. Not not to take away with that from him, but I thought it no. helped. With Justin yeah, with Justin Jefferson it did come down to just the way that if he's not targeted or involved in the game, they're they're team completely flounders and shuts down the only game where it like went okay for the they had where it went okay that they didn't target him a bunch it went okay in the chicago win in week seven in week eight yeah week 18 which who cares and the detroit win in week three where he was only targeted six times and had three catches if you look at some of the other games though like the Dallas game, he was targeted five times and had three receptions. Dallas or Minnesota lost forty to three. In the Green Bay game in Week Seventeen, Jefferson was targeted five times. They lost forty-one to seventeen. 
like when he wasn't yeah. like you said chris when he wasn't involved the like it, everything just collapsed he is the foundation for which that offense is built upon and it it's the same similar with the house. If you chop down the foundation, the rest of the house is going down with it. It's why this Hawkinson trade looms very large for that offense. Cause like they got to figure this out. Cause they'd go in stretches where Hawkinson's getting 15 targets in a game. I mean, Jefferson's getting nine. The, it doesn't make sense. That trade happened right around week nine. Correct. Is that the deadline? Right. Yeah. I think it was a week before the week, deadline. Week eight. It was a week before. Yeah. Or so week like seven, eight. Yeah. Something like that. He, he like towards the end of the year. I mean, he finished the year with nine targets in their playoff loss, five targets against Chicago, five targets against Green Bay. It's unacceptable. Yeah, like just Jefferson should be at like fourteen a game, you know. Yeah, and he and for like most of the yeah most of the season he was sitting around you know thirteen fourteen targets a game. But there are those games where you saw it. They started focusing in on trying to get Hawkinson the ball and. There's, there's college offenses that are better at manufacturing touches for their best player than the Vikings are for Jefferson. Like it's not That's uncommon so to see uh, college players with 15, 15, 15 targets in a row, multiple yeah. games, because they just know this guy is better than everyone else on the field. And somehow right. the Vikings don't know that with Jefferson. Right. There were, that's funny you say that. And I don't know why I just remembered this. There was a game. When Dan Lefevre was Central Michigan's quarterback, they played Michigan, and he threw the ball to the same receiver on like twelve consecutive plays, and then he caught all twelve of them. It's probably Brian Anderson. I remember that team back in the day. I just remember the broadcast being like Lefevre, 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 Lefevre. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so obnoxious. But the Vikings would win games if they did that, and Jefferson like didn't get tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Crazy that we all agreed unanimously on that award. It was yeah. one, two race, Jefferson, Tyreek. Let's move on to MVP. I wonder if we'll be more different. I wonder uh, if any of us not named Chris will have Jalen Hurts. I don't have Jalen Hurts. So. Oh, come on. All the bias, but no Hurts? <laughs> no, no Hurts. I, I thought this is the most boring award. I don't, I don't know how you give it to anyone but Mahomes. Yeah. I, thought it was a two man, I thought it was a two-man race. I mean, he, I mean, he, what led the league in passing yards. Uh, I, I, that's a raw stat. I don't care about that. <laughs> all, right, all right. Sure. He had the be- second best passer rating in the league. Um, he, I mean, and look who's on his, like, we wouldn't, if I told you you're, you're running an NFL team and you get Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and then some combination of Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, and Justin Watson as your receivers. How many? How how many games do you think you win? Like I listen, you 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 kind of omitted probably the greatest tight end of all time. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I know I, he's obviously important, but <laughs> but like important. the, the receiving group is is I, I bottom five in the league. I don't like. <laughs> I'll say this. The only reason to go Mahomes over Burrow is supporting cast. That's the only reason. That's the only argument. Yeah. No, I like, I mean. So I'm okay with it if that's the argument, but that's the only argument. Burrow was better than Mahomes in every single way this year. Yeah. Genuinely, the reason I picked Mahomes is that he basically maintained his stats 
you know, like there was no drop off. Yeah, we just talked about how good Tyreek Hill was when there yeah. was when there was supposed to be a big drop off, and they didn't do like really anything meaningful to replace Tyreek Hill. They, Nothing meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> so like that was that was my like for sure my reasoning was that Mahomes had zero drop off and played to the level that we've seen him and expected him to play without the guy that we thought helped catalyze that play. And yeah, I just like, and Mahomes, I thought improved in the pocket. I thought that like he improved aspects of his game that had shortcomings. Yeah. And so like, that was why I went Mahomes, but I I too went Mahomes, but I went strictly for the, the cast of characters around him. But I do think like, Throw for throw, Burrow was better in just about every way. Mahomes had a bunch of turnover luck this year too. Um, even despite that, he did. Um, you know, he still turned the ball over more than Burrow did. But Burrow, his turnover worthy throw percentage in our data was yeah, it it's best. one of the lowest in the league. Yeah, one point seven percent. That's that's actually crazy. That's almost Herbert, Herbert was the only guy lower than him, and Herbert throws the ball two feet every play. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was almost 50% Mahomes. Mahomes is 3.2% turnover-worthy throw rate. So Yeah, and Burrow was also top five in, in wow throw rate. So top five in wow throw rate. Um, and then also basically led the league in turnover-worthy throw rate. And then every other statistic, they were pretty much right on top of each other, whether it was adjusted completion percentage or accurate throw rate or uncatchable ball rate. They were, like, really close. Um, I don't want to take the – sunshine off Mahomes though because I did pick him because what Mahomes did this year without Tyreek Hill and with those cast of characters Chris laid out is actually incredible yeah, I mean, he's he's proven now that he's team proof it doesn't proof. matter yeah yeah. Yep. yeah that's a that's a true dog like he he'll be in the Brady realm of potential Super Bowl every single year no matter who he's got their, with him. this is their fifth consecutive AFC championship game all at home too like the is this his fourth or his third fourth for him right fifth. oh uh that's right smith, smith, smith did get to one didn't he one or two even no this is Mahomes' oh, fourth year starts yeah, fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're like yeah there's another tom brady in the afc again like every afc team is going yep. to have to deal with him at some point in the playoffs and he's going to miss the super bowl like one every he's going to be in every at least every third super bowl if not more <laughs> It seems like that way. Brady took, you know, a Dion Branch led receiving core to the Super Bowl. He took Brandon LaFell led, re- like, you know, that's basically what we're looking at with Mahomes. He's got Martez Valdez Scantling's probably his best receiver right now. Who was Justin it? Watson, guys? Justin Watson is playing legitimate snaps for them. Seriously, who, what is the worst receiving room in the? It's what the Giants are probably lower than them. Giants, yeah, yeah. Is there another one? The Bears, 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 Bears. Yes. Giants, Bears. Bears, Houston, maybe, but they have Brandon Cooks, so I don't know. And uh, Nico Collins, yeah, yeah. Nico Collins, Nico Collins would easily be like a thirteen hundred yard <laughs> receiver on this team. Yeah, so there's there's at best three, probably only two, worst receiving rooms in the NFL. Yeah, MBS yep. wasn't even a full time starter in Green Bay. Like, well, he was. He just didn't do much. Yeah, he was out there running around, running wind sprints. <laughs> Over and over again. He was the he was the all fitness team. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, He's getting yeah. cardio in for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. 
to and jo, for to talk about Joe Burrow playing behind the offensive line he played behind all year and to like it clearly affected him at the beginning of the year but then he settled in and figured out how to work with that offensive line because the offensive line did not really get better throughout the no, year. Yeah, they changed their offense. He got, they, yeah, they changed their offense and Burrow got better. They they went from like one of the most explosive offenses in the league to this offense that will just slice and dice you every which way. Yeah. Um, but would they yeah. still, would they need that big play? They'll still hit it. Yeah, they still have the ability yeah. to it, but it's not, yeah. they were, they were relying on it last year. Oh, and that's why I, I yeah. let's just go right into it. They're playing Kansas City this week for yeah. the AFC Championship I mean, game. That's why I, th- I think this could be tough for KC, man, because they're this three? is a different Bengals team. Yeah. 0 3 the last two years against them. They're calling, they're calling Arrowhead Stadium Burrowhead Stadium. I know. They're, I think. <laughs> I think there's a fire lit under Mahomes to win this game, I, and I, I think so too, man. He's, it's a little bit like I like we keep mentioning Tom Brady with Mahomes. This feels like you know you don't want to get Brady angry. This feels like I, I, you guys are poking the bear. <laughs> when Mahomes is on the New Heights podcast, so players don't typically talk about this stuff. They keep it all private. Like they, Mahomes actually mentioned Burrow's name on that podcast, and is like, yeah, he, like I can't beat the guy. He, I'm he's three and zero against me right now, and. I'm about to change that. Like, but ju- the fact that Mahomes is thinking about it just tells you how he's feeling about this game. Yeah. It's a bummer that he might be potentially banged up too, but how much is that ankle factor? I, I, I know everyone's talking about the press conference yesterday because when he left the podium, yeah, he, he did was. not have a limp. Yeah. He was walking very he, fast. By he the definitely, way. He's definitely hurt. Like there's no, like, it's a high, yeah, it's a high ankle. It doesn't just go away. Yeah. But Mahomes as a pocket passer is still better than like most of the QBs in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he even hurt though. He was still making plays with his feet. By the right. way, yeah. like the second play when he came back, he took off for a first down. Everyone's like, like, "Dude, what are you doing?" On one foot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you could tell that even Andy Reid was like, "If you're gonna go, we're gonna go," because he was having him do under center outside zone handoff plays. Like, yeah, I know. Andy I didn't Reed, understand that. I Andy like, Reid didn't care. Like that. Like the first play, it was so bizarre. And then they, even when he came back, it's not like they shied away from That's, it. They were, Still very comfortable running under center outside zone. That was 100% a test for Andy. Because, like, yeah. most coaches have the mentality of, if you're going to, like, we don't want to change what we do because of your injury. Right. So, like, if you're going to go, you're going to go. We're run, Like, I'm running my offense the same way I would if you, if, you know. So, I think it was probably a test. Like, hey, let's see how you do on this outside zone boot. Yeah. <laughs> So, but the fact that he took off for a first down, like right away, I was I like, know. "What? Why is this guy doing this?" <laughs> it's because he's, he's just got that dog in him. He does. He does. Yeah. He's just got the fight. Fun fact for this that I went back and I went back and was rewatching the matchup from earlier this year, and Romo said something on the on the broadcast that I thought was super interesting, and I looked into it. The last time that Cincinnati has lost when they score first was Week Five of twenty twenty one. Wow, so that offense and that team is pre- like you like you can see it. Like you, I saw you see it in the Buffalo game last week. You saw it in the Kansas City game um, in Week 13. You saw it at times this year when that team when they go down and score right away on that first drive. Like you can feel the air get let out of stadiums that they're playing in. 
because you could just like it, it's so methodical. But when they go down and score a touchdown on that first drive, they did it against Kansas City in Week 13. They did it against Buffalo last week. It's just you can feel them take control of the game, and I think that's a huge key for Kansas City is figuring out a way to get him uncomfortable, get Joe Burrow uncomfortable early, because that's that's just where. Like that's the one spot that Joe Burrow can be flustered is getting pressure on him. And even then that doesn't always do it. (laughs) Cause like, if you go back to their week 13 matchup, Kansas city pressured Joe Burrow 50% of the time. That was 30%. They blitzed 30% of the time. They got a pressure on 73% of their blitzes and 50% overall of dropbacks. Like, Joe Burrow was under pressure the whole time. It's just that he they didn't get it early, so Joe Burrow was able to like get himself settled and then go. I th- I think they need to get that pressure going earlier for them to not to like knock this offense off kilter a little bit. Yeah, Chris so, Jones should wreak havoc on the Bengals' offensive line he needs for all the to. reasons that when Brett was talking about him earlier. I mean, that's a uh, you said his name wrong. I say Chris That's Jones. Defensive player of the year, Chris Jones, oh. you. <laughs> I was going to say it's a pretty generic name. I don't know how you know. <laughs> When they talk about the greatest defensive player in the NFL, Chris, they don't say greatest defensive player in the NFL. They say Chris Jones. <laughs> Just renaming the award after him now. The Chris yeah. Jones Defensive Player of the Year Award. Yeah, he should be a problem for the Bengals offensive line. I don't. I'm not worried about Mahomes versus the Bengals defense. I, I, I think they're going to put up points and they're going to put up a good amount of points. I think that's it fair. really comes down to do they slow down Burrow? Burrow just he's just locked in in terms of knowing when to get rid of the ball, when to say all right, this play is dead and move on. Uh, where the holes are going to be? You're really not concerned about Kansas City putting up points? No, really, because like Cincinnati's the one defense that like has given Kansas city like noted problems. Like yeah. I think Mahomes threw for 223 yards or something like that. in their week 13 matchup. And they shot and they completely shut almost. I think Mahomes went like one for five in the red zone or like he was like, like they shut him down in the red zone as well. Like it was impressive. Like, I don't know. I just like, I think that's one of my concerns is that is, Kansas City figuring out this Cincinnati defense. For whatever reason, Andy Reid lost his mind in that game. And I don't want to like – I don't know what was going on, but Kansas City has the highest pass rate over expectation in the entire league. But that game, they, they actually had a negative ratio. <laughs> they ran the ball really well too. That doesn't like, matter when you're trying to win football games. I know. It, it feels just kind of like a small sample size thing to me. Like I, I don't know. Like, if they play each other for the next five years, we I could see us looking back and not remembering that Mahomes struggled against this defense at one point. Yeah. That's fair. It's Chris just, has I, also not been as big of a believer in the Cincy defense as you have, Steve. <laughs> uh, no, you do know that. No. I just Cincy's pressure rate is what is where I was impressed with I, like in their matchup earlier this year and in their matchups prior is that Cincinnati was able to manufacture pressure and they also did it last week against Buffalo. They did a lot of like very well manufactured pressures both blitzing and then they you know they were getting home a little bit with four men but their that defense is just 
they work so well to, I just feel like they work so well together and their like their coordinator and their scheme it's just working so well it's just meshing on all the levels where I mean they were they were sending like spinner pressure from a guy you know like lined up over a slot receiver eight yards deep and getting home yeah, with it. that's because Josh Allen has Matt Matt Stafford syndrome like he does not ID nickel blitz for whatever reason <laughs> I don't know why he just doesn't see it it could be running right at his face and he won't see it like <laughs> Stafford's been sacked on that, that pressure so many times in his career and I see it with Josh Allen like every other week I'm just like why why does this happen but um I think the big x factor in this game guys is I think Zach Taylor has grown as a pass caller I've been the biggest Zach Taylor critic on this show I even said at the beginning of the year he is the worst coach to have coached in a Super Bowl in recent memory I, mean, I think we... McVay's taken over that title but oh yeah for sure <laughs> For whatever reason, Taylor has gone away from his super crazy run heavy, stick with the run approach. Yeah. They're second in the NFL in pass rate over expectation this year with a mark of 9.6%. And it's been consistent that way since about week 10, since their bye week. Yeah, they changed. Um, And I freaking love it, man. Because when you have Joe Burrow and you've got the weapons they have, there's no reason to feed Joe Mixon 25 times. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the other thing, too, is they realize Mixon's just a dude. And I don't think Piran's better than Mixon necessarily, but if you have two running backs that are of equal, close to equal talent, keep them fresh by playing the other guy. Um, so Piran getting a workload, I think, is is good for Mixon, and I think it's good for Piran. So I think yeah. that offensive that, that that run game will be fresher when they do decide to use it. Piran's also a freaking incredible in pass protection, and they they need him. And he's really good in short yarded situations too. Yeah, well, he's a load, dude. Yeah, he's, that guy he's, is so thick, man. He, what does he weigh? He's got to be like two thirty-five. Bro, he's he's, a, he's like thick. Yeah, but you actually that was what I was hoping you were going to touch on is the their increased usage of Samaje Pirine to help keep Mixon fresher, healthier, and all that. It's that I mean, like yeah, like you said, yeah, two hundred thirty-six pounds. Um, yeah, like we had, we were breaking ground on the Zach Taylor head coaching grave. Like we yeah. were, we had shovels in hand and we were breaking ground on that. Like week four of like, how can you take this offense and completely neuter it? And like you had a Super Bowl tee and oh my goodness. And I'd love but, to know who talked him into it because like, there's no way he just came to this on his own. Somebody must have said something to him at some point. Yeah. It, what? It'd be interesting. What to if see you saw like the the struggles of like McVeigh and those guys, and was like, "Ooh, I don't want to do that." Yeah, maybe <laughs> he like saw he like had a vision of what his career could be. He went if he kept going down this route, and so he quickly snapped out of the vision and was like, "I'm gonna pass the ball more. I think I have something there." Yeah. the The best part about it, guys, is he made the switch after Joe Mixon had a 27 touch. 200 total yard, five touchdown game. That was the game that said to Taylor, you know what? This isn't worth it. We're going, <laughs> what? You can't make it up. You can't write the storylines better than that. Maybe it was like, all right, listen, listen here, Joe, we can get you. We're going to get you all of it this week. Then we're going to start going away from you. And yeah. like, That's nothing against you, but I just want to recognize you. And you're just going to, you're getting all of it this week. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he saw how how much it took to get a game like that, and then he's like, you know, we've put up five touchdowns from Burrow much easier. 
one <laughs> half. Yeah. One half we've done. Yeah. It. <laughs> Why are we He's, trying so hard? <laughs> he was a b. He was a b testing, and he realized how much easier it was to do it with Burrow than it was to do it with Mixon. So yeah. he ran, he went forward with that. I yeah, support. I, just, I support that method as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. A b test your your schemes. Like go. Maybe it was stressing him out. Having to call the right run play every play, that's probably just stressing them out, you know? There's no margin for error there. <laughs> pa- a bad pass play is like an incompletion. A bad run play is minus four, you know? Like, right, right. Or a holding call. <sighs> but yeah, I think this game will be – I don't – it's a hard game to pick. I think it really is. an awesome matchup. The, ultimately, I'm for me, I'm going with the Chiefs solely as like – they've just got those couple of tiebreakers. Like they got the QB – banged up or not that you know i would put a touch ahead of burrow the i trust the coaching i know zach taylor's done awesome but all it'll take is if he comes out and runs joe mixon on first and 10 for a couple drives and the game's lost uh we know andy Reid will be more aggressive in certain spots and i just i'll take those couple tiebreakers because I think everything else is, you know, they've got their strengths and weaknesses across the board, and they just match up so well. Yeah, I'm, man, I almost lost sleep over trying to figure this out last night. <laughs> I think I'm going to go, I think the Chiefs are going to get their revenge, and they're going to they're gonna pull it off. I'm going, I, si- I'm going Cincy. I knew you were. Knew I'm, going, I'm going Cincy. I just, I... Similar, like similar thought process as you, Chris. My deciding factor is that I think T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd are like enough better than Kansas City's corners that like it'll show through enough. Like I think Joe Burrow will have a good day. I think it'll be a close game, but I just think that. If I'm picking a defense to make a play in a tough spot, I'm picking Cincinnati's defense over Kansas City's. Yeah, I'm picking Chris Jones. <laughs> the Chris fair. Jones defense. That's fair. The, the Chris Jones defense. It's gonna All be right. t- it's gonna be tough when Chris Jones isn't guarding Jamar Chase as he's pulling two yards away from McDuffie. That will be tough. <laughs> The, Jamar Chase would have to run a route further than five yards deep for that to happen, which I, he hasn't done in a few weeks. Zach Taylor is getting him involved in different ways, and we can yeah. go down another rabbit hole here, but I won't. But his he, his usage of Jamar Chase towards the end of the year after he's come back from injury has been a lot more multiple, and it's been impressive and fun to watch them utilize Jamar Chase in the past game. If you say multiple like that again on this podcast, we're going to have an issue. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a good way it, it works well it does the way taylor has schemed up deep throws has been different than the way they were doing it last year for sure you're seeing a lot more like slot fades to boyd to uh some seam stuff to trenton Irwin has caught some deep balls like higgins is getting loose i mean they're they're not solely relying on chase for the deep ball now which is nice chase is a freaking monster after the catch so i understand it like if you're if you're forced to get him the ball twelve times a game and you don't want him to be fifty fifty balls, I get it. Throw him a slant and let him work. Yeah. But all right, let's move on. We covered this game adequately. Let's go to the uh the NFC champs, San Francisco for I'm just kidding. Just kidding. 
Let's go with the San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. I just wanted to trigger Chris really quick. <laughs> um, I feel like he's he's not letting it show, but I bet he's pretty anxious right now. Just wants um, this game to be played. Yeah, I, but the, the Eagles are winning this game. I told you last week that they were going to beat the Giants by 10-plus, and I was short. I could have I could have pushed it. You did, and for the listeners, if you ever need betting advice, Chris is a great guy to go to. He had a four-leg parlay. Yeah, I know. No, that, no one does that. It's not normal. I didn't <laughs> – it's not easy to pick spreads, especially when you were moving them around like I was last yeah, he week picked, to make it. He picked a four-leg alternative spread parlay and hit all of them, including a 10 nice. and a half. Would you do 10 and a half? Yeah, 10 and a half Eagles? on the Eagles. Wow. That's a massive spread. That's a massive yeah. spread in a freaking playoff game. So, yeah, c- congrats to you. But tell us, why are the Eagles going to easily win this game, Chris? Yeah, They have the best roster in the NFL. They, They're... Yeah, they've got they just have they have everything they could need to win this game and also Brock Purdy is not going to continue to play this way. Like like I I said watching him last week, I was I was thinking to myself, I was like Chauncey Gardner Johnson's getting at least two picks on this guy because he was close on Daniel Jones on a couple throws and he's been he's been a ball hawk all year. Um Purdy like they're gonna. They're just gonna give him. He's. He's never. We saw him kind of struggle. Like the Dallas defense was probably the best defense Purdy has played all year since he became a starter. And then the pressure got to him a little bit. Um, Micah Parsons was giving him some trouble when he got pressure in his face. I, there was a play where Purdy literally turned his entire back to the defense at some point or the offensive line. And I thought. I thought that like was not the play. on purpose. Like not a designed. No deception. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> That sounds like Brock Purdy. It's, that's why I was like, oh, here we go. It's coming. And he luckily turned around and smartly threw the ball away. But he's – I think I think the pressure is going to get to him. I Trent Williams is awesome. So And McGlinchey is at least an above average right tackle. Um, but the combination of Reddick, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham, um, Robert Quinn has really not been a factor for the Eagles. He missed some time too, but – He's starting to play a little bit more, but I think the the Eagles pass rush is going to give him trouble. And I think the Eagles secondary can do well enough against these pass catchers. Um, the Philly offense versus the Niners defense, I think is like the matchup of the, of like the, the past year, 10 years. Century. Like, yeah, like <laughs> it should be just a grudge match back and forth, like throwing like haymakers back at each other like with aj brown deep touchdown fred warner strip sack whatever like whatever it is like that's the matchup that is going to be interesting and fun to to watch just seeing how sirianni and the rest of the offensive staff want to attack this defense and then how how the D'Amico ryan's wants to defend it on his side like i don't i don't know i don't know what the what the answers on either side are but it's going to be it's going to be a good one I don't – I think Philly's going to win this game too. I'm picking the Eagles. But my only concern for the Eagles, and you didn't mention it, um, I know you're, you're not a believer in Purdy. You think he's going to have that game, that meltdown game at some point. But the Eagles' zone-heavy approach just gives a lot of credence to what the 49ers do on offense. With Debo, with Ayuk, with Kittle, these yards after the catch guys, if if they're catching the, the ball you know, in space because it's zone – it could be problematic for the Eagles is all I'm saying. 
Um, you, you don't, you don't want to. Well. You got to tackle well. You got to come ready to hit. Put those guys down to the ground. Um, that that's really where this 49ers offense can just get wild, as if if they're getting space after the catch to work. So, um, which plays right into Purdy's weaknesses, which I don't think he's thrown a very good deep ball um, since he's been the starter. And if he doesn't have to, it takes a lot off of his shoulders. So. No, yeah, his, that's what I really sp- want to see with Jonathan Gannon if he goes changes at all to to try to take that away from Purdy because he does like to his whole philosophy is we don't get beat deep and we wait for you to make a mistake. So he changed that a little bit against the Giants. He was blitzing more. He was he was playing closer to the line. So can he does he continue to adapt to what his offenses the opposing offenses weaknesses will be important. Yeah, Purdy's lived in the like 10 to 20 intermediate zone since he's taken over. That's been his sweet spot all year and all year since he's taken over. Um, Yeah, it's just a it's just a two Goliaths, two Titans going at each other with these teams. It's going to be really exciting to watch. I am interested to see how the Eagle if the Eagles are just if they blitz at all. Like I, th- I feel like that'll be a big part of it is just getting home with four, four or five pass rushers like out of base rather than sending blitzers and making Purdy sit back there and actually pick apart a defense. Um, I I, I would blitz a lot. Would you? Man. Yeah, I would make Purdy beat me. At least in the first half, that would be my game plan. Like I'm going to make you beat me. The thing about especially with, you know, if you're going to play a little bit off coverage do some fire zone type stuff. You're going to force the ball out quickly. And yeah. that's, you're going to find out real quickly what Purdy's accuracy is actually like. And the best way to shut down yards after the catch is to get the ball delivered inaccurately. If, if they're not catching the ball cleanly off of an accurate throw, they've got to set up for the yards after catch. It's a lot harder. It gives the Eagles defense time to make tackles. I, I definitely would be setting some pressure. And then even beyond that, if they're not, pre- you know, giving a lot of pressure looks, I'm playing single high and I'm trying to make him beat me over the top. Yeah. Go you know, Purdy, I don't I don't think you can beat me over the top, so I'm going to I'm going to give it to you in, until you do. Uh, and make life miserable in that short to intermediate range for him. Flood it with defenders. That's fair. I just think that the way the San Francisco offense is built that getting the ball out quickly could play to their advantage because of the guys they have in like that they can hot route and ski and scheme if they do start picking up on blitz tendencies. If, yeah, if they if they want to get the ball out quickly, yeah. If if Eagles are forcing the ball out quickly, I think it's a little different. Yes. Rookie rookie quarterbacks are zero and five in championship uh, conference championship games. Is so, that true? Yep. Did Big Ben win the Super Bowl as a rookie? No, that was he lost. In what two thousand four? Yeah, think? that's right. Because they went fifteen and one, but they lost in the yeah in, in the, the conference championship. Yep. Did they? Okay. Yeah. I think what did Sanchez get to one with the Jets as a rookie? Maybe. Yep. yep he yeah. did. Yeah. So it's been a while since we've had a rookie in there, but they are zero and five. Was so... Russ not a rookie when he won the Super Bowl? No. No. Second year. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of those rookie quarterbacks have come up against Belichick. 
That is exactly and, probably and the Belichick, case. And Belichick is a noted rookie quarterback killer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like the, I'm t- predicting the Purdy fallout game feels like just a short term predicting Brady to fall off a cliff. It's just <laughs> like in just in a more compact, fast paced method. It's like every week I'm like, all right, Purdy's gonna play bad, and he has played bad at times. It's just that. They have so many weapons and so many guys that can make plays that he doesn't I'll, have to play that good. He can play below average to average. Now that has to be up there. It has to, I think he has to be above average to beat the the Eagles. Right. But, I want to see what happens when he gets when the opposing team scores 21, 24 points yes. or more. Because it really hasn't happened besides the overtime game with the Raiders that they almost lost. Right. Right. And that's in. Uh, I want it, it'll be interesting to see if the Eagles look to that Raiders game plan. They've, the Raiders are running a lot of crossing routes, a lot of like you getting Waller and Adams across the field, kind of trying to confuse those those linebackers and keeping their keeping San Francisco in their base defense by trotting out like th- two three tight end looks um, and having those three linebackers out and knowing that like Waller and Adams are faster, more athletic than even some of San Fran's like. Um, like Al Shazir, Al Shazir and guys like that. So I wonder if Philly will do that as well and use a lot, of, like run a lot of um, lineups out with Stoll and Goddard in, and try and keep San Fran in base in base defense and then throw against them from there. Yeah, I would play. I would play fast if I'm the Eagles' offense. Lots of no huddle because because of how fast this Niners' defense likes to play. Yep. They don't. They don't sub guy like we said. Nick Bosa doesn't really come off the field. Fred Warner runs around like he's he got his head cut off. Yep. Hufunga uh, is the same way. Drake Greenlaw is a freak in coverage too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Get them. Let them just whether I don't running or passing. Just get run it. Run as many plays as you can against them and get them tired. It might not show off right away, but fourth quarter and whatnot when those guys have been, you've been just doing what hopefully doing what you can against them and now they're tired because you you've been keeping them on the field so much. It's like, like I, a no limit jujitsu match. Yeah. Yeah, they're they they can playing fast like they do is awesome for their defense, but also can get you in trouble if you're not, you know, you're you're gonna get tired too. Yeah. Uh I'm picking I'm picking San Fran. I think I that, knew it. I you're dead to they, me. I think they can I think they can run the ball against Philly, and I think that Brock Purdy can play good enough. And I think San Fran's defense is going to give Philly's offense trouble. If they run the ball against the Eagles, I will be happy because it means they're going to lose the game because the, they're not going to put up enough points to win the game. I, I don't know how many points. I think this is a 21-17 game. And and we already, well, that's wrong because Shanahan's going to kick at least three field goals. <laughs> at least, so that score doesn't work. Felt like they, a they, witch they, cackling they, right they there. Missed, they missed two extra points. <laughs> they, missed. Oh. <laughs> they went three for three on field goals and two, oh for two on extra points. 21-17. This brings me to the last thing I wanted to, to bring up before we get off the pod. Yeah. Do, do you think Brett Maher can ever recover? <sighs> he missed five extra points in a row. And the owner <sighs> comes down to talk to you? <laughs> that makes you feel good. Like psychologically, like I'm a big psychological warfare guy, but man, 
I think I might hang it up at that point. I, I mean, <laughs> he's played into like, real estate or something, you know. <laughs> he's played a decent amount of time so far. That yeah, that's the yips are are nothing to mess with. I if there's anything I've learned in life, it's that the yips are real and. There's no telling how long they'll stick around. I, so it's like it's tough to say for him because that. I, do you think? Do you think he feels it as much because they won? Well, they did win the the next game. No, but in the game where he missed. Yeah, he he did, but it wasn't as impactful. It was blocked. Yeah, it was blocked. Yeah, it, well, was, it was blocked. blocked. It wasn't it was, his fault necessarily. Uh, yeah. the, the, that, it was missing. It was gonna miss if it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm 100 convinced it was not gonna. Oh, it was going I mean, left. I don't think. Like, I think they said it probably seven times on the broadcast. Like, everybody was like, he would have missed. It was. Could you imagine it. though? You miss four in a row, and then you're just you're just thinking, I just gotta get this one through, and then life will be back to normal, and it gets freaking blocked. I'd be worried they're gonna replace me in that moment. He's oh, gotta... sorry, you're not kicking anymore. He's got to pretend every extra point is a field goal because for some reason those are okay. And like yeah. you, you could feel it for Dallas towards the end where every time, every like fourth down nearing the red zone. Every, and they somehow still like, didn't go for it on fourth down. They did add one from the 35, I think. They did, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that, that shows you that McCarthy has no faith in Maher because a 35 yard line, that's that's field goal territory for McCarthy. Oh, yeah. yeah. McCarthy is not fake like, sharp. Is McCarthy. not up there on the aggressiveness scale. <laughs> he might, he might step on that scale and come back negative. Yeah. <laughs> fake, fake, uh, fake analytics guru. I don't know. Shanahan's, I think worse with the aggressiveness. Oh dude, he's McCarthy. terrible. He's bad too. It's why he's going to lose. And like the, he, and the, and that's, yeah, Steve. that's fair. That's so, I, those edges matter. I'm, ex- I'm okay. I'm like, that is one area that Nick Sirianni was like noted to be, I think he was number one in the NFL in like points added based on like critical decision-making things like going for it on fourth down compared to kicking a field goal compared to punting, things like that. Nick Sirianni was up at the top of the league as far as aggressiveness well, and things like in that. In the words of Nick Sirianni, I know what I'm effing doing. <laughs> yeah. That was to a ref, by the way. I did. Was it? Yes, that was. Some, I don't know what the ref was telling him not to do, but he, <laughs> he knew what he was doing. That's hilarious. Shout out Sirianni for completely adopting. The, what is the, the actually? I have personality. a Yeah, I have a good question. As non-Eagles fans, what do you do? You do you hate Sirianni? Because I'm seeing a lot of people hate him for the way he acts. Well, he just which, seems kind of like a sniveling brat. Yeah, okay. But I like him because I like forward-thinking coaches who do analytically sound things. He's definitely that. So, Yeah, yeah I, I, I like him because he got the team right back to where it was. And, you know, like he was handed a team that, that was in flux of like, who knows which way this team could go. And he, you know, got them right back to where they were, helped develop Jalen Hurts. And I, and I, I just like – I think his antics are funny. Okay, yeah, because I feel like if he was not the Eagles coach, I would think he was one of the most annoying coaches in the NFL. I, yeah, Chris, I, like talk your talk, talk your shit. In my opinion, <laughs> like he's winning, he's winning games. Talk your shit. Like, what can anybody say to him? The only reason people are getting annoyed is because their teams aren't winning. Sure, like, win games, beat him, and then you don't have to hear him talk about it. Chris, can you guys not fire this one? 
<laughs> we'll see. Because the Eagles have a terrible track record of firing amazing coaches. <laughs> but then finding new ones apparently is easy. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. So they, just... Peterson was a Reed disciple, though. So like that was a rectif a rectification of firing Reed. You know. Sure. Yeah. And then, and, and, and Sirianni is a Reich disciple. Right. Who was a Peterson disciple? So that's so like the next oh, shoot, one will be a, yeah. So the next Eagles coach will be somebody from the Jaguars staff a few years from now, I guess. Or or someone that's currently coaching Sirianni for Sirianni, yeah. like uh, Gannon. So they'll, no. they'll fire they'll fire the whole staff. Gannon will go be the best D coordinator in the league somewhere, and then he'll come back head coach a year later once they realize they made a mistake. <laughs> Try so. to explain Reich disciple to a non-football-watching person. Oh, crap. Just, just say Reich Disciple to a non- I don't want to. I don't want yeah. to now, Steve. Exactly. It's just funny. I heard it, and I was like, oh, that makes it sound like... Well, at least he didn't say Third Reich Disciple. I mean... It's, I thank, mean goodness Frank, yeah, thank goodness Frank Wright is the first of his name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we should probably get out of here. It's, oh, it's been a while. Exiting, exiting point. Yeah. That's what I was hoping for. Uh, thanks to the listeners. Uh, so a couple things of note, actually. Uh, Chris and I will be in Mobile next week for the Senior Bowl. We will be having lots of Senior Bowl content come out on the site that you should follow. I'm sure I'll be writing some stuff. Chris will probably be writing some stuff, as well as John Hansen and Scott Barrett. Um, I'm not sure about who else is coming or not coming. But, yeah, anyways, staff will be down there. We'll be writing it up. If you're interested in the draft and the next gra- uh, group of fantasy football players, this is a good time to take in all that content. Chris and I will also be doing a special pod from down there. And I don't know if we'll have the capability of getting Steve in on that yet. But it will – good chance it's all three of us. But if it's not, Chris and I will just do a duo thing. And then uh, Steve and I will be back at the end of the week. So Awesome. Thank you listeners so much for all your support. It means the world to us and we will be back shortly for Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host Stephen O'Rourke. Our guest host Christopher Weck. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform and come join the roster at fantasypoints.com.